to continue in the Gospel of John, and I'm super excited about um, today's message. Uh, I want to show you today that there, is, there has been a plot established against you to kill your witness. The enemy wants you to keep your mouth shut. He wants you to be afraid to say anything. He wants you to be condemned. He wants you to feel less than. He wants you to feel like your story's not important. He wants you to feel inadequate to share your story. There's a plot to kill your witness, and the enemy's all over it. So I'm going to use the story of Lazarus to do so. But before I do, I want to show you something from 1965. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey and Billy Graham were great friends. And Paul Harvey said something in 1965 that I I felt when I was writing the message today that we needed to listen to. And I want you to see how much of what he said in 1965 has come true. Go ahead. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, 
in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Nineteen sixty-five. Welcome to two thousand twenty-three. You cannot sit here today and live in some kind of denial that the enemy has a plan for your life. You cannot sit here in some kind of pretend ignorance like you didn't know that the enemy was trying to steal something, kill something, and destroy something in your life. In John chapter 12, starting in verse 9, I want to show you today how the enemy wants to kill your witness. I'm a little bit cold just a little bit, don't get extreme, don't get extreme, just one notch, just, just, let's not go too far, come on somebody, John 12 starting in verse 9, watch what happens, Lazarus has already been raised from the grave, um, Jesus is getting, he's, he's being anointed by Mary, this is the, the this is a supper that, that Mary and Martha throw at their house and invite Jesus and his disciples to. And, and right after Jesus is anointed, like we talked about last week, in verse 9 it says, When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him. Here it is, watch this. And also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him, Lazarus, that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them, the religious folks, and believed in Jesus. When people heard about Jesus, they flocked to see him, but they didn't just come to see Jesus. They came to see Lazarus too. And I want you to notice that Lazarus was not on their radar until his life was touched by Jesus. The leading priest never talked about Lazarus. He wasn't a topic of discussion. He wasn't on their chalkboard. He wasn't on their whiteboard. He wasn't in their their, their uh, organized plans for the future. Lazarus was not even on the radar until his life was touched by Jesus. So until he was brought to life, he was no threat at all to them.
when he was brought to life, he got a testimony that he could share with the people around him. It is his story that is the threat. He was no, of no threat as long as he was dead. Lazarus was no threat as long as he was dead. You are no threat to the enemy as long as you are dead. Physically dead, spiritually dead, emotionally dead, relationally dead, you're no threat to him. I'm afraid that there's too many believers today who are walking around like they're still dead. I believe that many Christians don't want to share their story because they're more afraid of what they're going to suffer than of the consequences that will come from telling their story. There's too many of us that worry too much about what somebody's going to say and don't worry enough about the people that are around us that God's placed in our life and what they're going to say on judgment day when they're looking at us saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? He was no threat as long as he was dead, but the minute he was given life, he became a threat. Write this down. The day you were born again, there was a plot established to kill your witness. First, he tried to keep you and stop you from being born again. That's why some of you have been addicted and, and, and hurt and molested and strung out, and you've got all these things going on. He don't want you to believe in Jesus. He's been after your life, and he don't want you to believe. But once you believe, he's not giving up. He's now going to come after your witness. He's going to let you be born again as long as you keep your mouth shut. It's almost as if we've signed an agreement with the enemy that says, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. You don't talk about me, you don't mess with me, I'm not going to mess with you. And just like many people believed because of Lazarus' story, there are many people waiting on your story to believe. No matter how complex, no matter how dramatic, no matter how wild your story is, there's someone waiting on your story. There's someone waiting to believe, and they're waiting on you to open your mouth. I can promise you this. Your story will start trouble. But I'm afraid too many of you are afraid to start trouble. I'm like, if it's kingdom trouble, man, let's go get in trouble. Let's start some trouble. The enemy has no problem starting trouble. Why should we as believers have an issue starting trouble? 
instead of conforming to the world, why don't we flip it upside down because we really don't like it? What if we just flip it upside down, turn it on its head and advance the kingdom of God and then maybe he'll say, okay, that's it, let's go. It's time to come home and then we'll get to go home and get out of this place. What what if we decided to preach our way home? What if we decided to share our story all the way home? I wanted to quit a job one time. I quit. I actually quit. I walked off the job. I had the worst boss in the world. Walked off the job. Was sitting at dinner with my wife that night. Sitting at dinner with my wife that night. And we're talking about what I'm going to do next because I just cold turkey quit the job without having another job. Dumb idea. And as I'm talking to Cheryl, the Holy Spirit said to me, go get your job back. I'm not done with you there. And I was like, that's got to be what I'm eating. (laughs) But I felt it so strong and I recognized the voice that the next morning I humbled myself and I went back to my job and I asked my boss for another chance and I apologized for leaving him hanging that day and quitting the job. And the Lord said, you're not going to leave this job until the road opens. I was building a road through kinder. You're not going to leave here until the road opens. I'm not done with you yet. Shortly after that, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at a freedom weekend. I came back and I was witnessing to this guy who was bigger than me standing on the railroad tracks in Kendall, Louisiana. God was not done with me yet. So I preached my way out of that job. My last day was the day they took the barricades down and opened up the the road. And I went, see ya. (laughs) Your story will stir up trouble. Write this down also. Before you were even born, there was a plan for your life. I don't know if all of you know this, but there was a specific plan for your life to advance God's kingdom and show the world you would reach the great love of God. Do you know that before you were born physically, God wired you and knit you together in your mother's womb? He gave you that attitude. He gave you... Most of those attitudes. He gave you that personality. He gave you that tenacity. Maybe he gave you that gentle voice. Maybe he gave you that loud mouth. Maybe he gave you the gift of gab. And people don't like you sometimes because you don't know when to shut up. But you were born to be a preacher. Come on, maybe he gave you what you have because he had a, a people group that he would plant you in the middle of to reach. He has a plan for you. We don't go anywhere on accident. Tomorrow is not an accident. Your job is not an accident. The people in your life, the ones you like, the ones you dislike, are not an accident. So if we as believers would ever realize that all of heaven is for us, maybe then we would stop submitting to the world and the enemy of our soul. I've I've asked God to help me see things that I can't see the last couple of years. Uh, When it's leaders in the church, Lord, help me to see their giftings. If it's... uh, opportunities or things that he wants me to to move into, Lord, help me to see them. 
I'm not content to be blind. I want to see. So I'm not going to pretend that I'm just going to automatically see. I started to pray and ask God to help me see. When I'm fighting with someone or I'm in a disagreement with somebody, Lord, help me to see. Help me to understand where they're coming from. Help me to understand. Help me to see. I'm not satisfied being blind. Blind gets me nowhere. The ability to see gets me somewhere. Amen? So I've been asking God to help me see. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. I want to show you a pretty wild story about being able to see when the, it says this in verse 15, it says, when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, I believe he was going to use the bathroom. <laughs> I didn't see it though. Um, there, there were troops, horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side then on theirs, Elisha just said the same thing I just said. There are more for you than there is against you. All of heaven is cheering you on right now. But even though I said it and even though Elisha said it, he didn't believe it. So God had to open his eyes for him to be able to see. So, Lord, open our eyes. Then Elijah prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You don't have to stay blind if you're blind. I want you to understand the time we're living in right now. We're in the days where Jesus can literally come back any minute. Like, it could happen right now. Like, there's, there's nothing stopping him except the Father has not said to go yet. Literally. God can call it at any moment. No more signs are needed. He could call it at any moment. Lately, I've been thinking about the day we will all stand before Jesus and give an account for our life. And, and it's terrifying to me. I'm terrified and excited. I'm excited to be leaving this place and going to my eternal home. I'm super excited about that. I'm going to be rejoined with some of my love, with all of my loved ones that are there. And, and it's going to be a great reunion. Jesus, I'll get to see Jesus in person. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm excited about that part. But I'm terrified about this one part, that I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for my life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And then the Bible tells me that he will reward me according to my life. So my eternal home will be like I set it up to be while I'm on the planet. 
In other words, I get to determine to a degree what eternity is gonna look like, be like, sound like, feel like for me. Don't get me wrong, I'll take a doghouse in heaven. But a mansion wouldn't be bad neither. Come on, somebody. With a pond in the back. And the weather's always 65 degrees. Come on. I was at a conference a week ago or two and the guy that was leading the conference had us pray over a specific family member and just get quiet and pray over that family member. And I was praying over one of my family members and I had a, a, a real disturbing visual image that is, it's messing me up right now. I saw my brother-in-law, the one we're believing to be born again, I saw him standing in a jail cell, an old Western type jail cell to be specific, and he's holding the bars and he's, he's set up for a death sentence and he's looking at me like, don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. And I see a chain and a lock and the Lord said to break that lock and set him free. If something doesn't happen to my brother-in-law and he doesn't get born again, that will be his eternal image. My responsibility, number one, is to pray for his salvation. It's the Holy Spirit who draws him in, right? Nobody walks to God on their own. They don't wake up one morning and go, I'm going to go find God today. Maybe he's over on 2nd Street. I'm going to go find me God today and get my life right. Nobody does that. The Holy Spirit draws you in. God sends the Holy Spirit to draw you in. So I pray. I pray for him and his household. I pray for all of our family members. And, and together with Cheryl and her aunts, we've prayed all of her family members in, except for her brother-in-law's family. But I know how God works. God's going to set me up in a moment. I don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to be a moment for me to be standing with my brother-in-law, and I'm going to be compelled by the Holy Spirit to share my story with him, and my story with him will break the chain. My story with him will call him out of the prison, out of the death sentence. Come on, somebody. Do you have a burden in your heart? Are you weeping over people? Are you even concerned that there are folks, if Jesus comes back today, will spend eternity in hell? Whether you got angst against them or not, whether they've offended you or not. In fact, let me say this. Chances are, if there's a thraka between you, you probably need to break through the thraka and share the gospel with them. Because that's simply the enemy trying to keep them from hearing your story. So our witness is more important now than ever. You don't need another word from the Lord. You don't need a holy moment to share your story. So let me give you three lessons to guard your witness today. If you're taking notes, here's the, here's the first one. 
Stop listening to the accuser and start hearing the liberator. Stop listening to the accuser and start hearing the liberator. The accuser will always tell you not to share. The accuser will always tell you your story is not important. He will always tell you that it's, it's not your job to tell that person. He will always convince you that the time's not right. He will, he will do anything, say anything, convince you of anything to keep you from sharing your story. Hear me. It's time to stop listening to the accuser and start hearing the liberator. How do I do that, Pastor. Number one, you need to recognize the both, both voices. You need to be able to distinguish between the enemy's voice and God's voice. Come on, somebody. That's your responsibility to learn that. Sheep need to learn how to follow the shepherd. And then you need to start shutting the enemy down when he's talking too much, which most of the time he talks too much. And then you need to start hearing the liberator. We listen to our own thoughts and the enemy too much. Forget what the accuser says about you and discover what Jesus says about you. If he forgave you of your sins, which he has, and he's washed you clean of unrighteousness, then tell the devil goodbye and move forward. Stop living in the land of addiction, of stress, of drama, of trauma. Get out of that land and move forward. He's forgiven you. He's cleansed you of unrighteousness. Tell the devil to shut up. I'm going to continue to live. Well, you did this and you did that and you messed up this and you've been married four times and you've, you've said this about people and you hurt this person and you forgot to do this and you walked away from that. Shut up. I'm washed by the blood. When I confess my sin, Jesus is faithful and just to not only forgive me of my sin, but to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, which means this, that the moment I confess my sin, I'm forgiven and I'm cleansed and I keep going. Come on, I'm not living in doubt. I'm not living in unbelief. I'm not living with condemnation anymore. Too many Christians are still dragging balls and chains. We're the freest people on the planet. <laughs> the devil and others have pigeonholed you into believing lies about yourself. You messed up too much. You did it too many times. There's levels to sin. The enemy's convinced you that there's levels to sin and you've crossed level three and when you cross level three, you can't ever come back. He has no new tricks. He has no new tricks. If he whispered to Eve, he's whispering to you. Does he whisper to you, pastor? Every day, going day, the dude don't shut up. I'm like, bro, give me a break. 
Do you know what I'm saying? So I shut him up by opening my ears to Jesus and to Jesus' words. Listen to me, when my mind gets boggled and I got so much stuff going on in my head that I can't even get my thoughts straight, you know what I do? I crack open the word, his holy word to me, and I read what he says to me. Because when my mind's all jumbled and my thoughts are running rampant and the enemy's been after me and I'm all welled up and anxious, I don't hear his voice very well. That's just me. I don't, maybe that's you too, but I don't hear him very well. I need to go to the one thing that I've been given that says he always speaks. I go to his word and I clear my mind. He whispered and spoke to Jesus. If Jesus had to shut the devil up, you're going to have to shut him up too. Come on. You're going to have to shut him up. You don't shut him up with silence. The Bible tells us to rebuke the enemy, to stand against him, to resist him. And when we resist him, then he flees from us. But some of us, in fact, I would tell you most Christians today sit here and we don't resist and we don't refute and we don't stand against him and we just take it. And then we get worn down, we get exhausted, we get beat down, we get discouraged, then we got to get medicated, then we got to get therapized and all this other stuff. That's a new word. And then we got to just, it goes crazy from there. Amen? Shut him up. He's convincing teenagers to take their lives. Shut him up. He tried to do the same thing to me at 16 years old. I had a knife to my wrist, and I've, and I've never shared this story. I had a knife to my wrist, and I was ready to cut my wrist because my daddy wasn't around, and my mama was over-controlling, and I didn't feel like I had any kind of life, and I'm standing in the kitchen, and I'm about to cut my wrist, and he had me convinced to do so. And praise God by his spirit, I did not do it. He rescued me. The accuser has too many believers convinced that you have nothing to say. And you can't say anything because of some sin or some shortcoming in your life. He's got you convinced. You're going to have to settle the issue in your heart. You're going to have to wrestle with this question. Why am I not witnessing to the lost? You may have to answer this question. Why do I get so nervous when I go to share my story? Why is it so difficult to tell somebody about what Jesus has done in my life? 
going to show it to you in a minute. Number two, you're going to have to risk the relationship now to spare yourself some grief later. You're going to have to risk the relationship now and spare yourself some grief later. I don't want to be standing in front of Jesus one day and seeing my friends in another group and I'm going, ah, I thought I had more time. I didn't want to risk hurting them. I didn't want to risk them liking me. I didn't want to lose a like. Many of you here today are afraid to risk your relationship with someone by telling them about Jesus. We believe this lie or one lie like it. I have time to tell them. Or maybe you're believing this one. I don't want to upset them right now. Here's the truth. If you're not born again, you will spend eternity in hell. Hell is just as real as heaven is. Don't let the enemy or anybody else convince you that hell is not real. Hell is real. And if you don't believe me, we'll all find out one day. We'll all know the truth one day. I'm not saying we're all going to hell. I'm just saying we will all know the truth one day. Amen? I know that's hard to hear. It almost seems rude to even say in the day and age that we live in. Truth needs to be spoken today. The volume of lies being spoken everywhere that we turn is enormous. And the minimized truth that we get to hear in the world today is sad. We need to speak the truth in love every chance we get. I found myself recently getting into some confrontations for speaking truth. And, and, and at times I go, God, why am I that guy? Like, why I got to be that guy? The one who always says the hard truth. The one, like, why did you make me to be the guy who says the hard truth? I'm not talking about on Sundays. I'm talking about the rest of the week. I get in more trouble during the week than I do on Sundays, by the way. Like, why am I always the guy that has to be saying the truth in the room that nobody else wants? Like, why me, Lord? Because, like, I'm getting a reputation now, and it feels bad. I don't want to be that guy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But how is, how is giving someone the only truth that can save them, how is it rude? You might not believe this, but I used to be a lifeguard. That's a strange place to say that, right? I used to be a lifeguard back when I had shape. You could see my muscles. I was a lifeguard in my teens at the city pool, and I had to go through some training. And I'm afraid to say it wasn't much training <laughs> to be a lifeguard, but I, was, I got a whistle and some red shorts, and I was a lifeguard. And... I had to look and be on the watch out for people drowning and dying. And it was like, this is a lot of responsibility for a 16-year-old. 
But one of the things they taught us when they trained us is that when somebody's drowning, jump in. <laughs> Step one, jump in. <laughs> Blow your whistle, get everybody else's attention, jump in and go at the person and grab them. And the goal is get them to get them above the water first. Just get them above the water and then get them out the water. But then the training went a little bit further. It said this, that when you get them and you're bringing them above the water and you're trying to get them out of the water, sometimes they get so disoriented that they start to fight you. And they said this, knock them out if you have to. I'm serious. Go to lifeguard training. They'll smoke you if you're fighting them. I'm saving your life. How rude. You punched me in the face. Oh, my God, I'm pressing charges. I just saved your life. Now, I don't want you to start a punching ministry, and I don't want you to do any of those things by any means, and I don't want you to become a rude Christian just because I gave you that example, but I want you to know that there are times in life where you have to speak the truth. Because it's the truth that sets us free. Tatang people never sets them free. So if we save them now, we won't have to grieve them later. I've had images of Judgment Day where there's friends and family and coworkers and bank tellers and gym mates and doctors and mechanics and waiters and so on are standing before Jesus looking at us thinking, why didn't you risk our relationship to tell me? Why didn't you just tell me? I wish you would have told me. Can I be honest with you? This is hard to preach. I was not overexcited about preaching this message today. We have to understand what hard truth and what our story can do for folks when we tell them. It can set them free. It can give them life. Lazarus had a story now, and he was a threat. And the enemy was using religious people to try to take him out, to shut him up. And some of you are thinking, well, I didn't get raised from a grave, and I didn't, I wasn't four days in a grave. No, you were longer. You were in the grave longer. Most of us were in the grave longer than four days. In the spiritual grave, we were spiritually dead longer than four days, and spiritually we stunk, and we were decomposing until Jesus came along and rescued us and brought us back to life. <laughs> 
Number three, all of your tests are your testimony. All of your tests are your testimony. What if God's not mad at you and he's just blessing you with a great story? I'm going to say that one more time. What if God's not mad at you and he's blessing you with a great story? What if he takes your bad decisions in the past and turns them into a story that will bring somebody face to face with him? All of your tests are your testimony. Look at what James 1 says, starting in verse 2. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when, 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 when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know, you know, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Consider it all joy when you go through trouble. It's like when trouble comes, we're expected, according to James, to go, <laughs> here comes some trouble, here comes some turmoil, here comes some drama. Oh, God's going to do something with this. Oh, man, here comes the trouble here comes my story. Here comes his glory. Here comes a chance to not quit. Here comes a chance to learn something new. Here comes a chance to see God like I've never seen him before. But if you're still thinking like the world, you're going to get all fashed, boudet, and pelade all at the same time when trouble comes. He's going to be laying on the floor like a piece of salami, just done. Oh, God, don't trouble again. And all you can muster is the energy to post something. Can't ah. tell you that's more exhausting. I'm not saying I like trouble. But man, I've been put in some jacked up situations. I can't tell you. God, God will tell you one day. He'll verify what I'm telling you. That, that I, I, I regularly ask him, like, why do you do this to me? Like, why do you put me in these situations where people are dying, like physically dying, and there's, and there's fights or there's chaos? Like, why do I keep getting called into these situations? Like, God, can I just not do that? And he's, I wired you that way. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. I'm building your story. I'm going to use this moment that you're getting pulled into to help somebody else down the road that lives in your world. So count it all joy when trouble comes your way. Yippee. And whether you believe it or not, Jesus has been with you through all of your troubles. And all of your tests. He was with you when you were high as a kite. He was with you when you were low as a dog. He's been with you the whole time. But we struggle to believe that because our 
troubles and our tests get our focus more than Jesus' presence does in those moments. When I, when I go through trouble, when I go through tests and my faith gets tested, and it does regularly, and I go through troubles, when I go through those troubles and I, I, I sense that something's going on, I, I, it, it messes with me, right? So, so, so let's see if we can unpack this real quick. So when trouble comes or tests comes, it affects us, right? Come on, I need a little bit of interaction, right? It affects us. We, we get emotional to some degree, to some way, shape, or form about the thing that we're getting ready to walk through, right? Okay, those emotions to me are indicators that I need to go press in with the Lord because something got disturbed. Because anytime there's a lack of peace, there's the presence of trouble, So when there's no peace and there's trouble and emotions start to well up, I'm not just going to pretend they don't exist because I feel them. Come on. I'm not going to ignore them and hope that they go away. I'm going to take them to the Father and by the Holy Spirit, who is my counselor, and I'm going to sit with him and we're going to talk about these troubles and these tests, and I'm going to ask him to help me understand what's going on. I usually ask this question, Lord, why am I feeling this way? And I'll describe the feeling. And then I'll listen and he'll tell me. So we just don't like, let the emotions run around like kids with no home training. Like, like we gather them up and because they get in our head and then they, they jack up our thoughts and I'm not just going to sit in that. I don't want to live in that land anymore because I've learned to live in the land of peace and freedom. I don't want to live in that dramatic land anymore. So I'm going to take that stuff and I'm going to bring it to the Holy Spirit who is my helper. And through prayer and counseling with the Holy Spirit, I'll discover Jesus in my times of trouble. And once we realize that he's there and he sees, he sees us, he, he sustains us through it, and now we've got a testimony ready for others to hear. I can't imagine the thoughts that went through Lazarus' head weeks and months afterward. Like, bro, was dead, and now he's alive. How do you think the same old way anymore? Lazarus had others to tell his story, but he also had a story to tell himself. This was his story. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Now, not everybody's going to receive that the first time you say it. <laughs> I was dead. Hi, my name's Lazarus. I'm the, I was the dead guy, but I'm alive. Let me shake your hand so you know that I'm alive. I'm going to get close enough to you with my story that it's going to affect your life. I was dead. Now I'm alive. Even though he had other people to tell his story, nobody could tell his story like Lazarus could. 
Everybody else got the outside perspective. Lazarus got the inside perspective. Come on, somebody. He was in the grave. He walked out bound and tied up together and then others freed him. He, he tells his story the best. I'm just saying, you can try to tell his That's right. I was dead, now I'm alive. No one could tell his story better than him. The man born blind had a story to tell. I was blind, but now I'm, I can see. Come on. The kid possessed by a demon had a story to tell. I was bound, but now I'm free. His daddy had a story to tell. I had unbelief, but now I believe. What is he saying? He's saying that I used to be this way, but because of God's influence and power in my life, I'm this way now. That's your story. You don't have to be strung out for your story to be great. Sometimes people need to hear, I was born in a good Christian home, didn't really have many struggles, dabbled in pride and arrogance a little bit, but the Lord set me free. I was spiritually dead, now I'm spiritually alive. God gave you that story because that story will affect somebody's life. I was, but now I am. According to statistics, I was raised in a single home by my mom. I should have cut my wrist. I should have committed suicide, statistically speaking, I should be dead. Statistically speaking, I should be strung out on drugs. I was, but now I am. It's my story. What does my story do? It gives God glory. My story points to God. I didn't get out of trouble myself. I'm not that smart. I'm not that educated. I'm not that good. I'm not that disciplined. <laughs> Amen? So if I were the devil, I would do everything I can to keep your mouth shut. I would convince you that your story isn't, isn't important. If I were the devil, I would convince you that your story is too bad. If I were the devil, I would beat you down with your past like you beat a dog down for bad behavior. If I were the devil, I would hold your past against you always, constantly reminding you of what you've done wrong. If I were the devil, I would convince you that the only way to deal with this pain of your past is to either medicate yourself or distract yourself. If I were the devil, the last thing I would let you do is run to the Father who can help you. If I was the devil, I would convince you that people don't want to hear your story. I would convince you that people don't want to hear truth today. 
I convince you that it's not going to work. All in an effort to keep you from sharing your story. That's what I would do if I was the devil. I would convince you to keep your mouth shut so that all the people in your life would die and go to hell. And even on judgment day, the day you were getting ready to step into eternity, I would get one last lick on you and I would punch you with grief. That's what I would do. I want to do something this morning. I want you to close your eyes. Come on, Virginia. You put everything, get everything out of your hands. Just want you to quiet yourself. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about all the people you saw last week and the ones you'll see this week. And I want you to honestly evaluate with confidence if you know for sure they're going to heaven or not. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to sort that out for you. I believe in this moment he's going to show you the friends that if something's not said, something's not done, there's a great chance they'll spend eternity in hell. And I pray that a holy fear will come over you. Thank you. 
sight, a spirit of understanding. I release over you today a spirit of boldness and courage, a spirit of tenacity and confidence. I release the spirit of God over you today that you would go with his anointing into the marketplace this week, into your home, into your grocery store, to your gas station, to your appointments, with an anointing to share the story, to encourage, to give hope, to bring glory to God, to tell others about Jesus, to set the captives free, to raise the dead to life, and I release an anointing over you today, church. now would you ask the Holy Spirit to begin to draw those people you just saw just say it right now say it say Lord draw them in draw that person and say their name draw them in draw them in Lord call them home Lord call them back to yourself Lord Amen. Look at me. 
I believe you saw someone. I believe some of you saw many people. Look at me close. Look at me carefully. If you will step out and ask God to draw them in and then be willing to do your part, they will come. They will come. My brother-in-law and his family will be saved before Jesus comes home. They will be saved. I believe that. Amen? Let's give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Awesome. Stand up with me. I want to let you go. If you want to keep up with what's going on at OSC, I want to just encourage you to do this. In your text messages, when it, for the contact, just type in 94,000. And then in the message part, just text OSC events, all one word, all lowercase, OSC events, and press send. What you will do is you will set yourself up to get a text message this afternoon to remind you of what's going on at OSC. Amen? So we're doing the best we can to communicate what's going on so that you can participate. We want to communicate so that you can participate. Y'all caught that rhyme? I'm leaving you with a rhyme. Not every pastor in church can rhyme. I mean, not every pastor in town can rhyme. I'm just telling you. Very few of us can. Open your hands towards heaven. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for your word. Anoint us. Challenge us. Go with us, Lord. I'm believing you for stories on top of stories on top of stories this week. I love you, Lord. Set us up in Jesus' name.